Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for listening to the hashtag Create Your Earth Life podcast with myself, your host, Janessa Prudhomme. And today we are going to have a special guest on. His name is John, and he is from the pro-life missionaries of Maine. So before I became a Christian, I did not know much about abortion. My thoughts about abortion were, I wouldn't get one, but if someone else wants to, like, I'm not going to say anything. That's really not my business. Um, I just didn't have much knowledge about it, nor did I care to get more knowledge. Now that I am a Christian, I hear pro-life information shared a lot more. I've heard people talk about why abortion is wrong. I have seen videos of why abortion is wrong. I watched the movie Unplanned. I've become more educated and now I consider myself pro-life, especially after interviewing John. When you guys hear him answer these questions that I often get from pro-choice people when I share about being pro-life on social media, you are going to be blown away. This was probably one of my most favorite interviews. There is so much knowledge in here, so much information that needs to be shared with the world. So a few of the questions I asked were, what are your thoughts when someone says, you know, my body, my choice? His answer is phenomenal. You have to listen to it. It's very, very just great because he agrees. My body, my choice. Amen is what he said. Um, You will have to listen to it. Another question that was asked is, okay, well, what if someone is raped? Then don't they have a right to get an abortion? If they are raped, they're carrying their rapist child. They may have to have contact with the rapist once the baby's here because the rapist will have rights to the baby. You know, what about that? Um, What about if the baby's in danger in the womb? What if the mother is in danger? We go over everything and we go over many of the pro-choice arguments and basically break it all down of what it comes down to and why he's pro-life. He is abolitionist. I think that's how you say it. Um, Yeah. So let's get started. Let's jump right in. I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you learn something. If you like this podcast, please share it. People need to hear this information, and the only way they're going to hear it is if you share the podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your followers, and give this podcast a review so this this specific episode can get out there. All right, guys, and of course, obviously, the other episodes are very important. Um, We've had a lot of great people on here, but this one just uh, moved me in a different way. Okay, let's get started. All right. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. My name is John Andrade. Um, I live in Brunswick. Um, My husband, we have six amazing kids. Um, Ages 17 is my oldest, down to a brand new newborn um, who's two months old, a little over two months old. So we got a whole gang of them. So uh, I love being a family man. It's cool. Um, I'm a Christian. Uh, First and foremost, we love the Lord Jesus Christ and um, try to have everything that we do ministry wise all be directed toward the gospel message of Christ, what he has done to save sinners, the, the message of hope, forgiveness, love, joy, everlasting life all found in Christ and in Christ alone through his death on the cross um, and resurrection on our behalf. And so, yeah, that's kind of the central focus of everything that we do. Um, but yeah, that's me in a, just a quick nutshell. Um, I live in Brunswick and yeah, we love it here. 
Okay, awesome. So I found you. So first off, starting off, I was driving down the road the other day. I passed Planned Parenthood and I saw people outside, um, pro-life people outside. And I was going to stop. I wasn't able to. And so I found you online on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, And I wanted to interview you because I share about being pro-life online. And a lot of people who are pro-choice, they have a lot of valid questions that I just can't answer. I just don't know the answer. To and I feel like you have more answers because you are part of the pro life missionaries of Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you just hopefully ex- I have some good answers? <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, can you just tell us wh- why are you pro life? Um, were you pro choice at one point? Did something change you? Like, what's your story? I mean, I think um, if you would ask me when I was younger, I became a Christian when I was 23, and even then the whole pro-life movement never at all captivated my attention. It was just kind of this secondary issue that was out in the world. I didn't pay any attention to it. And I think if you would ask me, um, I probably would have been of the, of the mindset. Like I think the standard default mode of most people is um, I maybe wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have an abortion, but to me, it's not really my business if other people do. And I think that's most people I talk to who are Christian, who are new to this issue. Um, that's their default position. And I think that's where I was. Um, and that's just me as a Christian. I think before I was a Christian, yeah, if I I was in involved in a lot of sin, um, of various types, and I don't think I would have had any, I wouldn't have lost any sleep if we had ever had an abortion. Um, I feel like I found myself in several positions where that was on the table Mm -hmm. and just by the grace of God, I never, uh, indulged in that sin. Um, but that's something that I think at the time, yeah, that would have been very much on the table for me prior to. So I think I just kind of had the standard position of a non-believer. They're just like, yeah, I mean, why not? It's it's legal in our country. It seems to be socially acceptable. So what would be wrong with it? Um, and then even as a Christian, when I might have been like, all right, maybe for me, I'm not going to do this. There is still something about the fact that like, I don't want to tell anybody else what to do or what not to do. So I'm just going to kind of just remain silent. Um, I think that was how I was. But until, I, you know, um, if you're interested in the story, just briefly, probably four years ago, um, uh, I was asked to go stand out in Portland, or I'm sorry, in, in Topsom, with a few people who were trying to get together a team of people holding a sign, and I was 0% interested. I was like, there's not a chance in the world I'm going to be out there and doing that. Every pro-lifer I know, to me, just immediately the crazy bells start ringing. I'm like, oh, they're probably lunatics. You know, like I don't want to be seen as crazy. Um, And so I was not interested at all. And probably two years went by where some friends of mine were going out to this one. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to go out. Um, Until one day when I, um, I just, I felt primarily the call to go out and share the gospel. And I met a group of people in Portland who wanted to share the gospel. Their heart was for proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ to the lost, people who would never really ever hear the name Jesus or interact with a Christian. They were saying, let's go out and share the gospel with people. And one of the places that they do that at is outside of Planned Parenthood in Portland. And so I was I was primarily there for the evangelism. I wasn't so much there for you know standing against abortion. But as we were sharing the gospel outside of Planned Parenthood, talking with people, praying with people, interacting with people, um, I also just soon began realizing, wow, this is a reality that right on our main streets, downtown, right across the street from a library, a public library here in Topsom, right next to a restaurant, um, 
all over the place. These are not even hidden in secluded, dark places. These are right in our public square and tolerated and accepted in society, a place that literally kills human lives. And it's not only tolerated, but it's even funded. And so we would just see the the darkness standing there. And soon it just became like, I'm here for the gospel, but I'm also really, really becoming aware and cognizant of the wickedness that happens in the building right behind where we stand. And then my heart just began growing for the life of the unborn. I began wanting to stand for their rights, to speak up and be a voice for the voiceless. And again, just, yeah, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. But it is, uh, I think, uh, I'm growing in my understanding of it, but I think it is probably the darkest pocket of sin I think the world has ever known, ever known. Um, it's an atrocity. Yeah. 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 From my perspective, and I and I, I I know you're probably asking some questions to me, but I, I feel free to share your thoughts or disagreements or anything like that. I'm just kind of posing my you know point of view here. No, I agree with you. Um, so I'm like just starting to learn about like why people are pro-life because I was in the same boat as you as where I was like, well, like I wouldn't get an abortion, but I'm not going to tell other people what to do. And then I started learning about it. I started learning about what happens to the babies um, at different like stages of pregnancy. And, and also I started hearing about how they wanted to, the government wants to make it okay in some states or whatnot um, for like abortion up until birth Mm -hmm. and i'm just like that's murder like that if that baby can live outside of your womb that's murder or and so that's when i like things started to move inside my head and that was really powerful for you to say um that this isn't like it's just so normalized it's like it's just it's happening and it is right next to restaurants it's Mm -hmm. right across from the library and it's just it's a building where babies are being killed inside their mother's wombs Mm -hmm. um and it's it's harsh to say it that way, but it's the truth. It's the yeah. facts. Yeah. Um, and that was really powerful when you said that. I was like, wow, that, that kind of blew me away. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing that. And um, I think I mentioned this on here or maybe we talked about this before, but the reason I wanted you on is because I ask, I share things online and people, I share pro-life stuff online and then people will say to me, well, what about this? What about that? Like pro-choice people ask me questions and I just don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. So I've written down a bunch of ans- uh, a bunch of questions that I want to see if you sure. have answers. And I, and I would even say too, right off the bat that, um, some of the pro-choice stuff, I, I think, um, to me, every pro-choice argument I've ever heard fails and fails miserably. But at the same time, though, I, I tend to try to show as much love and grace toward people who hold those because I think that's where I was. Mm-hmm. And I know many, many people who were kind of just, I would say, very outrightly deceived by these basic arguments that sound really good and right off the bat. Um, but when you kind of look more into them from and hopefully I'll be able to articulate it as you ask these questions, I think they um, are quite easily undone. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I respect people who have been pro-choice because of maybe some of these questions that you're about to ask that have thought through it, but maybe never really spent time asking these questions to a pro-life person to see all right, what would their response be. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully I can do a somewhat decent job um, answering some of these. Yeah, I can relate with you when um, you say that some of them, there are some where people will ask questions and in my head, I'm just like, that's very uh, self-serving or selfish. And I think some people just don't realize that mm-hmm. that's where their mind's at. Yeah. They just yeah. want to have their own choice. Yes. All right. 
Let's yep. get started. Um, so you talk to pro-choice people on the side of the road. You go downtown. You go there. Uh, what have you found the top reason as to why they're pro-choice? What do they say usually? I mean, yeah, the biggest thing we probably get is my body, my choice. Mm -hmm. It's just a quick mantra that, um, you know, it, I don't think anybody can really dispute it. I think whether you're Christian or whether you're atheist, no matter what mm -hmm. your religious background is or your phil philosophy or religion, you are gonna accept and want to agree wholeheartedly with the my body my choice slogan which we do too we believe my body my choice and you can't really go against that and <laughs> be uh um, seen as somebody who is not a scumbag in society because everybody wants to have bodily autonomy and so for sure that's probably the number one thing that we hear my body my choice but we also hear things like you know um what about incest and rape um that's probably the number two thing we hear in the case of rape, are you really going to try to force a woman to have a, her rapist baby? Um, yeah, you can't, you can't control women's uh, rights, especially as a man. What's a man doing out on the street? You have no right to do this. Um, another thing is, you know, if you haven't adopted, you're a hypocrite. Um, we hear that quite a bit. Um, the foster care system is overwhelmed. Um, are we just supposed to continue flooding the foster care system? Um, overpopulation, people say, if if the 55 million babies each and every year that are killed via abortion in the globe or around the globe, if we had had those 55 million babies each year since 1973 in Roe versus Wade, how much more overpopulated would our world be? <clears throat> you know, on and on and on. Um, but these are just some of the kind of more common ones that we hear, but many, many other ones too. Um, but just kind of trying to rattle off a few that we hear pretty regularly. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard those ones too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So what do you say when someone says, it's my body, my choice, I don't want to go through a pregnancy, I don't want what's going to happen to my body to happen, and I want to get an abortion? Mm -hmm. I mean, so the first thing we say, I think, it, it depends on who's saying it. If, if this is a woman on her way into the clinic, um, which in Portland especially, we see women walk right past us who are on their way in, sometimes being escorted by a husband or a boyfriend or even a family member, a mother, a grandmother. Um, if they were to say that to us, what we just simply say is like, let us pray with you. Let us weep with you. Let us help you. Is there anything that we can do to help you? We usually don't try to engage in an intellectual argument to debate a woman on her way in because, you know, it's a pretty sensitive time mm -hmm. in her life, that walk. Um, but at the end of the day, just the, the bottom line argument and response that we have to that is, amen, my body, my choice. And I think that shouldn't necessarily be the mantra for a woman who is pregnant. This should be the mantra for a child in the womb. Imagine a baby in the womb, a fetus in the womb. Maybe it's a single, uh, an individual baby. Maybe it's twins. Maybe it's triplets who are about to have their body ravaged by somebody else who they're being escorted by the people that are supposed to protect them in society the most, a mother, a father, uh, somebody who calls himself a nurse, a doctor, uh, going past a receptionist in the hallway. You know, um, these are you know, grandmothers standing outside of Planned Parenthood to escort them into the building outside, away from the mean pro-lifers who are trying to offer them help. Mm. Um, these are human citizens in society that had these children already been born, hopefully they would um, advocate for their well-being. But some reason, because they're in the womb, they're expendable, and they do not have a right to say, Mommy, my body, my choice. Daddy my body, my choice, doctor, my body, my choice, they actually have zero voice in the matter. 
And we're not trying to take away a woman's right to do with her own body what she pleases. We actually would support that. If we saw a woman being raped, we would jump in and say no, you know, and defend her from the rapist. If somebody was throwing her into the back of a van, we would assist. Um, but the woman isn't the victim in this scenario. As the woman is walking into Planned Parenthood, she may have had some, whatever her history is. We understand sometimes there's grand situations, rape or her boyfriend is an abuser or all of these things. But regardless of all of these things, as the woman is walking into Planned Parenthood, it is not her with a gun, a figurative gun to her, her head. It's the baby. Mm -hmm. She's going to walk out alive. She's going to walk out and be able to eat another meal, breathe another breath, go about her day, family, loved ones around her. But this baby's life is now, its head's on the chopping block. And so we would say a hearty amen to the my body, my choice idea. But we want that same my body, my choice that we afford to every single human being, mothers, fathers, children, grandparents, whoever they are, everybody should have bodily autonomy. We would just say that same bodily autonomy should be extended to the baby in the womb who right now, the way our society is, absolutely has zero voice. Mm -hmm. You can have an abortion, an elective abortion for literally any reason no questions asked um and i mean you find out your child has down syndrome my wife and i we just have a two-month-old so you know doing hospital checkups and things like that they said you want to do a test to see if your child has any uh you know um any shortcomings uh it's going to have down syndrome cleft lip cleft palate things like that and we're always like, I don't even want to know. Like, what, what's, what good is it? Can you help the Down syndrome? And then the response is no, just in case you want to do anything about it. People have abortions. You can have an abortion because you got a, it's a boy. Congratulations. Oh, we wanted a girl. They will perform that abortion. It's zero questions asked. Um, and so the way the abortion system is set up right now, it's abortion on demand for any reason whatsoever, no questions asked, zero judgment. It's the planet fitness of murder, judgment-free zone. And they will execute your child for literally any reason. Um, and so hopefully we'll kind of begin to unpack some of the other uh, you know, reasons or objections that pro-choicers have. But I think just the general movement of the pro-choice pro industry, the abortion industry, is that we have one million about babies every single year in our country alone killed via abortion. It's the number one cause of death for black people in general. Um, not that I think this is a race issue, but since a lot of people do talk race, especially in our society, if we're thinking deaths of black individuals, it is the number one killer of black people. Um, around the globe, we have estimates of about 40 million to 70 million babies killed every single year around the globe via abortion. Um, so I usually split that number and say about 55 million, but it could be upwards of 70 million. Um, this is an epidemic. There's no form of death that even comes close. Cancer, um, alcohol, you know, abuse, car accidents, um, congestive heart failure. These are things, these are numbers that pale in comparison to the tidal wave of blood, I think, that we have on our hands. And I don't think there's a form of death um, that even comes close, remotely close, if we look at worldwide statistics. Wow. But... But yeah, I mean, that's a long-winded answer, but I guess just the bottom line of my body, my choices, amen. I, 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 we're not here to take away women's rights. We don't tackle women on their way into Planned Parenthood and say, no, we're not going to let you do this. Right now, the, sadly, the government affords them the right to kill their child. 
we don't tackle them. We just plead with them. And we tenderhearted. My demeanor in answering this question is typically my demeanor when I'm talking to somebody on the street. But if we were to ever talk with a mother, our demeanor is so much different. We go into tender she gushy, you know, compassionate mode of just like, hey, is there anything can let us help you? If a mother were to come and change their mind, which pro-lifers have seen all over the place in this um, frontline ministry, it's just love and compassion and let us help you. Let's cry with you. Let's just like, we're not trying to theologically or philosophically debate you in this. We just want you to just let us help you. Let us love you. And so I think, um, Depending on who we're speaking with, our demeanor might be a little bit different. But, you know, if we're debating somebody on the street, you know, uh, the underlying thing is, yeah, it's my body, my choice it for the baby, too, because they need a my body, my choice slogan as much as anybody else. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, when you say that you help people, uh, well, first, I want to say how often like when you talk to someone that's going into Planned Parenthood, they're planning on getting abortion. Um, is it often that people will turn around after talking with you guys or? Yeah. Um, well, um, in Maine, it's tough. It's really tough. We, we're connected with a network of pro-life uh, people who do the exact same ministry that we do just around the country. Down south, they see a lot more turnaways, um, people changing their minds. Um, in Maine, it's typical where they will be more callous to it um, and head right in and just kind of blow past us. We've never seen mm-hmm. one physical turnaway in the year and a half that I've been going two years. But what we have seen is secondary. Um, I have a, a good friend who lives, a good uh, close uh, family that I'm fr- very much friends with, see them once a week. Um, but they told me that they have right now um, a niece and a nephew, twins, boy and a girl, who right now are alive on account, at least partly because of our presence outside of Planned Parenthood. Um, this mother and father that had a scheduled abortion, um, second trimester at Planned Parenthood in uh, Portland, and they had a scheduled appointment, were on their way there, saw us, changed their mind, and I think that things like that happen a lot more than we would even know, um, that there are these turnaways. People see our signs of a baby in the womb, uh, a murdered baby, um, uh, a beautiful born happy baby we have a whole range of signs and they see it and there's something that moves in them their motherly instincts kick in and they're like what am I about to do and they may never stop and tell us and say hey you guys changed my mind they may go live their lives and we never ever ever even know about it but I hear very regularly from my brothers and sisters around the country who do this exact same ministry who see and they're like another turn away today another baby saved um and then just the love fest happens when, you know, a mom actually stops and, you know, <laughs> to see Christians offering to adopt um, as a secondary thing, but also maybe just saying, look, you can do this. You know, mm-hmm. your, your mom, maybe the world has deceived you into saying that you can't do this, but we actually want to empower you and say you can. You're mm-hmm. a mom. Life is difficult, but we want to help you. But you can be a, you're, you're this child's mom. We can't we can adopt if you need. But that's actually the second best option first best option is you be the mom because we can never duplicate what you are um ministering to dads discipling dads um teaching them the gospel teaching them how to be fathers how to be men um these types of things are just like you know get poured on and i think it's just amazing to see so many people so many christians at our church right now i go to new city church and we're connected with several churches in the area there are people who are willing to just if if we have a mother turn away let them live with them, um, adoption, uh, financial help, discipleship, 
I mean, you name it, just the love would come. Um, we're connected with CareNet right here in Brunswick. Um, Mary Prey, um, she runs that organization, uh, her and Sue Morley. Amazing ladies, you know, just everything. The, the love comes and there's help there. There are people who want to help and who want to be um, there to help. Obviously, we want to stop the murder of children, but we also do. We have a huge heart for moms, huge heart for dads, huge hearts for these people who we would say are being deceived into thinking their child can be killed, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah, and I'm glad that you talked about what people are willing to do to help because I see that argument is like, oh, um, Christians or pro-life people, they they don't want us, you know, making the choice to kill our babies, but they don't want to help us. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that's just not true. Um, yeah. Not everywhere, at least not right here. And I would say, I mean, I'm sure that there are some people who fit the stereotypes, mm -hmm. the bad apples kind of thing, you'd say. But like, I, I would say most people who are doing this ministry are doing it and they, they have a heart for it. They're not just doing it just to like shame women. I think there are some out there probably who just their goal is just like just to yell at people. But I think by and large, if you talk to most, you're going to see some sound-minded, loving people, compassionate, willing to go the extra mile, um, group of people that are just full full of love who, you know, are also just trying to stand against murder. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's a sad thing. Um, and I'll say just for, for people listening um, that a standard argument that I like to use is just simply let's just compare what you're saying, your argumentation to anything else to any other human being, any other classification of human being. Let's say a two-year-old. Well, I'm in a financial jam. My boyfriend just left me. Um, this baby inside of my womb is on account of rape. Um, it's going to have a hard life. It's going to end up in the foster care system. All of these are good reasons in the world today, air quotes on that, because they would say it's a good reason to murder your child in your womb, have a first, second, or even third term abortion, all the way up to 38 weeks right now. Um, in various parts of the country, you can get an abortion. For zero reason at all, elective, um, um, with some caveats for later, they'll ask you a few extra questions. But I would say, does that apply? Would you apply that to anything else? Let's say you have a, a Planned Parenthood on this side of the street that will kill your child for those exact reasons. Society will applaud it. Now, across the street, you have a place that will kill your four-week-old. You can push it in a stroller or carry it in the Moby Wrap, you know, um, in the Ergo. You walk in and you say, look, this is a product of rape. My husband left me. I have no real means to keep this baby. It's going to end up in the foster care system. It's going to live a really, really rough life. It's better off dead. Let's kill it. Society would be up in arms, and rightfully so, because this is a baby who is has bodily autonomy, whose mm -hmm. life has value, who was made in the image of God, and who has intrinsic value and should be protected. And so, but this place on this side of the street that is going to kill your four-week-old, that excuse doesn't work mm -hmm. to say, well, it's going to end up in the foster care system. It doesn't work. We say, well, it's better than being dead. Hopefully there's a lot more than we can do, but even worst case scenario, if it ends up in the foster care system, that's better than you pulling a bullet in its head. Um, but for some reason on this side of the street at the Planned Parenthood, that's a viable reason. Um, if, you, they, if you even give a reason, and again, all of these reasons really go out the window and they're kind of a moot point in our society because right now you don't need to give a reason. Again, the way abortion is structured is all of these reasons are a moot point. I could just I could I could say, oh, it's going to have blonde hair if there's a way to determine that I wanted a, a redhead. 
I don't need to tell them that. And even if I did, they're not going to say, well, please don't, it's a, it's, you can't kill your baby because it has Down syndrome. Like, what do you, they're not going to say that. It's a judgment-free zone. Any judgment is actually prohibited. They do not want to judge anybody for what they're about to do. So these reasons really to go out the window because I can go in and they're not going to ask for a reason. And even if I give one that doesn't measure up, it, it's, it means nothing because they'll still do it. Hmm. But, yeah, I do. I like to apply just does, does what your argument says that this baby can be killed apply to this scenario over here? And there's not a single scenario where it works over here. So why would it apply for the unborn is kind of the standard defense. Yeah. What about the people that, you know, it's early in the pregnancy, six weeks along, and they're like, it's just a a massive tissue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Clumps of cells is. Yeah. yeah, Yep. And I I should have mentioned that earlier. I would say that's probably in our top five. It's just a clump of cells. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, and again, for the listeners, I want to. I'm giving just the straight bottom line arguments without much emotion. When I'm on the street, I really try to be connect emotionally with people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are just cold and whatever, but I try to like just sympathize. I think your argument to be frank sucks, (laughs) but at the end of the day, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to say like, all right, I understand. And how did you come to that position? And, you know, just really be tender with them to try to let them know that I hear them. I respect them. um, I love them as a fellow human being. Um, and even though we disagree on this, I just want them to know that I don't think they're they're an idiot for thinking this. Um, but the clumps of cells argument, um, I guess to be fair, um, we have uh, I guess it's um, about about one. Or it's about ninety percent of abortions happen in the first trimester, so that leaves ten percent for second trimester and uh, third trimester as well. Third trimester abortions do happen, but they're a lot more rare, thank God. But still, mm-hmm. nonetheless, I would say, I would argue that if we're drawing a line anywhere, that we're excluding um, the lives of others. And so if we're going to say that abortion is fine as long as it's before eight weeks, um, but after that, we want to protect that. To me, I think that's the equivalent of saying, like, we'll, we, we want to abolish slavery, but we just we don't mind. We're going to the ones from my, the, the slaves that were kidnapping from Nigeria and Angola. We're going to let them continue to be you know, kidnapped and made slaves. But the ones from the Congo, the ones from, um, you know, Nigeria or, you know, wherever those ones we don't want you to kill or, or kidnap. I think that's what common um, even pro-lifers will say is we're willing to tolerate as long as you don't kill babies after eight weeks. But the ones prior to that are still on the chopping block. To me, I think that's shaking hands with the devil because even scientifically, just on a scientific level, right from the moment of conception, that baby has a completely new and unique, um, unduplicable set of DNA that has never existed before, will never exist again. Its genetic code is already determined. It has every bit of DNA and genetic information that it's ever going to have. Um, Its eye color. It's height, you know, it's um, hair color, gender. All of these things um, are right from the moment of conception. It's a distinct and separate human being from the moment of conception. Um, And so we would argue that while it does kind of hit us on a more emotional level when we see a 38-week, 37-week hear of abortions this late, um, sometimes even in other countries much later, acceptable by the government and the society at large, 
Um, those move us to tears a little bit more than one that's just the plan B pill. You know, a woman, you know, goes and takes a plan B pill for some reason that hits us on a different level. But I think just because our emotions are moved, maybe for one more than the other, nonetheless, it's a workmanship of God from the moment of conception that God has knit a human being together in uh, a way that only God can, Mm -hmm. that we are unable to create life outside of a sperm and an egg. God has designed that as the means by which human humans come into existence. And so that fertilized egg is just as much human as uh, a baby in the second trimester, as a baby in the third trimester, as my two-month-old, as my six-year-old, as my 17-year-old, as I am as 38 years old, as my grandmother. Like, it's every bit of human and I would say deserves every bit of a te- uh, protection afforded to it that any other human should have. Um, so on a scientific level, the clumps of cells argument, it works on the street. A lot of people hold the clumps of cells argument. It's just a bit, a bit of tissue. But on a scientific level, it does not hold weight. And even I think the best of the best pro-choice people don't even use that argument anymore because they understand this doesn't work. It is not. We can't just start arbitrarily drawing a line and saying it's a human here, but not here. Mm-hmm. And so my standard answer when people ask that is like, well, when does it become a human? And people will say, I've heard people, I mean, I've heard a wide variety of answers. I've heard eight weeks when the heart starts beating. Um, Well, did you know it actually starts beating at three weeks? Um, No. Okay. Well, so three weeks. Um, So at three weeks, you're saying that's the arbitrary line for when you would say it's a human being. Yeah. Yeah. So are you opposed to any abortion after three weeks? The answer, no. I'm for abortion after. Well, I thought you said it was a human being. They're, the real reason isn't that they think it's a clump of cells. It's that they want to defend abortion, and they think they they go off of the presupposed ideology that abortion is good, and then they use any means they can to justify it. Um, but I've heard you know people say all the way up to full term, You know, the moment it takes its first breath, um, they're all about, supporting even late-term abortions i've heard some people on a college campus up at bates not not to throw bates college under the bus but we do a lot of or i've done a lot of ministry up there and i've heard college students say two years old and i'm like you, you say you can kill a two-year-old yeah yeah i think so one person even said eight years old um i think it's just but i think in some ways it's a logical flow of how the abortion industry is is it devalues life and i think we will probably see a day god help us when even babies outside of the womb will be expendable. I hope that never happens, and God help us if it does, and I think a lot of people even hearing that might say that'll never, ever happen. I hope it doesn't, but I think it's just the logical flow of saying we're going to arbitrarily draw the line right here and say that these babies' lives are expendable while these ones we're going to protect. It's an arbitrary line. I think the only consistent line of what humans we protect has to go all the way to conception, right from day one, mm-hmm. right from the moment the, the, the egg is fertilized, it becomes a new, unique, distinct human being, glorious. Nothing can be even compared to the mm-hmm. beauty of a human being and just all that's happening right there in that moment. Um, just, yeah, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. And you just think about our Lord Jesus Christ also. He didn't skip the whole birth process. He didn't just say, well, I'm going to come into the world, into my mother Mary's womb at six weeks when I'm actually a real viable human being or, you know, uh, valuable human being. He went through the whole thing. 
right right from the beginning did the whole uh you know process in the womb all the way to birth and didn't even skip the birth process he went through it all and so if our lord jesus christ um you know saw that as valuable something that even he underwent in order to become a clump of cells mm-hmm. you know um i think that that's a extra emphasis on the value of a human life even in the womb yeah okay so what about the argument of okay this person's been raped they um it's traumatic to them to carry a child that was conceived through rape and they also may fear that if they have the child the rapist is going to have rights to the child so Mm -hmm. they're gonna have to live their life interacting with a rapist yeah i mean that's a heavy one um Again, I think I I try to sympathize so much, um, and if I sound at all heartless in this interview, it's I I, I again when I'm talking to people, um, I try to let my heart show as much as I can. If they're talking about rape, sometimes I just I might just go like you know, if you've ever been raped, I'm so sorry. Like I don't know your story. I like to just really sympathize and show my heart to people and try to connect with them on a person to person level. Um, but nonetheless, though, I mean, I think the the rape um, argument, if you look statistically um, at rape, um, how many abortions happen because of rape, combined with the life of the mother and even combined with um, uh, incest, you have less than a half of a percent of abortions happen because of those three reasons combined. Um, and so with that, this is just it's a, such a small fraction of abortions happen because of that reason. And again, if you were to ask people, all right, so if we're only going to allow abortions to happen because of rape, incest, and the risk of the life of the mother, are you okay with doing away with the rest of them and making them all, uh, we would hope to abolish them? They would say, of course not. And so I think, again, it's a red herring that kind of gets dragged across in order to move our emotions because nobody likes rape. But a question I like to ask people is, why is rape wrong? because another human person's life is being, their body's being violated against their will. They're like, wow, you're such an idiot for even asking me that question. And I'm like, oh, we'll say that again. So what, what is it about it? Again, another person's body is being violated by somebody else who's in power over them. Sounds like a, what happens in an abortion, right? Oh, I see where you're going with that. No, no, it's different. Uh, uh, the reason a, a, a rape is awful, and we all cringe when anybody is raped, is because a person in power is exercising their power over another person's body against that person's will. Mm -hmm. Exact same thing happens in an abortion. And so um, I understand that if there was a woman, and people have asked me, they're like, you have daughters, right? And I do, I have three daughters. Um, If one of your daughters was raped, and it begins to hit home, you know, and it it moves in our hearts. But if one of my daughters was raped, they'll ask me, um, would you, as their dad, tell them to keep the child and I say I would they they have the right to do what they're going to do in our society but I was their father would 100% encourage them I would say please 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 do not kill my grandchild but also don't kill your child I know that something awful happened to you I understand that and let me weep with you let me cry with you let me spend time with let me do anything I can to alleviate the pain that you've experienced how unimaginable I can't even begin to fathom how awful that would be and then to find out you're pregnant with your rapist baby could move you to tears to even begin to think about it 
obviously that's horrendous. Obviously, you don't ever want that to happen to anybody. But now the next question is, what do we do with this life? I would say that the, the rapist himself ought to be punished, mm-hmm. not his child. And so we, again, if we were going to apply this to anything else, I go out and, you know, bludgeon somebody to death. And they were like, well, let's kill your son on account of what you've done. No, that the, the child is not punished for the crimes of their father. And in the same way, this baby didn't do anything. This baby is a, a life an innocent party that's been caught in the midst of something that's horrible, what their father has done. But by the providence of God, God has seen fit to draw a baby and to bring something, I would say, beautiful out of this rubbish, this horrible situation. And I think there are many, many, many children right now, adults right now, who are the product of rape. And I would say their lives are just as valuable as the person standing right next to them that your life is your li- the value of your life is not at all defined by how you were conceived. And so let's deal with the one who committed the crime. Let's exercise our judicial societal preservation and execute punishment on rapists. But let's not take it out on their child. And I understand there's a woman here who has been in a very traumatizing situation and she needs love, she needs compassion, she needs care. But again, this is not one of those things that I would say extends to her the right to kill the child. Because again, if we do this and we look at now a a child who they look, she's had, she's birthed her rapist child. Every time she looks at that baby, she sees her her rapist face because it bears his characteristics, his facial features, his eyes, his nose, and she is just triggered. She hates this baby. That's a real problem, and we want to weep with her. We want to cry with her. But if, if she were to say, now I want to kill it, we would say, no, L- let's figure out some other options. There are many, many, many other options. Let's just not have that one option, which ends in the death of an innocent child, mm-hmm. be one of the options you're considering. And so um, for the rapist argument, again, there's got to be tons of gushy-gushy emotion and like love and just like compassion and let's just love you and help you through this hard, 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 unimaginable situation. But let's just not even talk about murder. Like how let's let's figure out any other option but murdering your child just just to, uh, to us. Um, it seems like it's going to heap up sin on top of sin. Um and regret on top of regret. Um, and so I think for a woman, especially who's been victimized in that situation now to say like, not only did I, was I raped, but then I later maybe comes to her senses in a couple of years and is like, wow, I killed my child in this most, you know, sensitive, fragile moment in my entire life. And then I just, I did that. And now there's just extra guilt, you know, like I think what she needs is love is not, but not a, not an extension of, um, a right to, to kill. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's really nice. Yeah. (laughs) So what about, um, say Planned Parenthood, you know, shuts down and abortion is banned in Maine or elsewhere. Um, and then for some reason, the a mom is pregnant and she is in danger or like something's going to happen to the baby. Like there's a situation where people, some people would argue the best option would be abortion. Mm-hmm. What's the solution to that? Um, 
I see two questions in that. One is mm -hmm. um, with the if the child's life is at risk. Um, and so for me, I think the solution to a child's life being at risk isn't to kill it. <laughs> you know, we, we try to help the child whose life's at risk, um, not kill it. And so I, I think there are many, many pregnancies which, you know, yeah, the child's not only going to have something superficial like cleft lip, cleft palate or, you know, Down syndrome, but it's going to have something where it's like it's it's life is going to be really tough. You know, it's lungs are maybe half on the outside of their body and half on the inside or something like that. And it might not even live beyond two weeks. I think what we do with that is say, all right, well, let's let this child live as long as possible. Sometimes even doctors give prognoses. And I have a, a an aunt who just died at 68 years old. She was born with uh, some sort of genetic disease, but then got polio on top of that. The doctor said she's not going to live past two months. She's not going to live past six months. She's not going to live past six years. She's not going to live past 12 she lived to 68 years old, and sometimes that just is the case. Um, but again, the solution to a child's infirmities that are going to cause it to die isn't, the solution to that isn't to just kill it mm -hmm. now. Um, what we do is we love the child, use every bit of medical and scientific um, advancements that we have to make this child's life as easy as possible. But nonetheless, it's even if it does die, and it's lived a very hard two weeks, and it's just life was miserable. Again, I don't think that's a reason to have killed it six months prior while it was still in the womb. Um, and so with regard to that question, yeah, I, I think if the baby's life's at risk, um, if it dies naturally, that's far different than somebody else intervening and saying, it's probably going to die naturally in two months. We're not 100% sure, but we feel like it probably is going to die in two months, so let's kill it now to save it the trouble of dying in two months. Mm-hmm. It kind of is self-defeating. Um, but as far as the mother's life at risk, this is, to me, um, the most viable argument that the pro-choice side has. Um, again, though, I would say statistically, if we're looking at statistics, um, the, re the reason for abortions um, is minuscule because of the risk of the life of the mother. It just It's just rare, very, very rare. Um, you know, you look at, at the most, some say my like one percent, but even lower estimates, probably fourteen or point one four percent of abortions happen because of this. This leaves just a very minuscule amount of abortions hap that happen because of this. I'm an abolitionist, and so I would really advocate for the abolishing of abortion for all reasons. Um, However, I do see room in this particular case where if a mom is going to die anyways, and especially if it's going to lead to the death of the child, that's its own unique set of circumstances. Um, an analogy I like to use is if there is a mother on a boat and she has a baby, the boat could be on fire, the boat could be struggling, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening on the boat, she can never just chuck the baby off the boat. She's got to care for that baby as long as possible. Now, if, the, if this woman is not on a boat, but she is in the middle of the ocean holding her baby, treading water, treading water, treading water, she knows that if she lets this baby go, she'll be able to tread water and survive. But if she holds on to this baby, she can't do it. She's going to drown, and in turn, the baby's going to drown as well. That's a whole different scenario than the woman on the boat who just chucks her baby off of the boat. We understand and know that we would all sympathize. We'd say, all right, it was the hardest decision you must have ever had to make to let your baby sink to the bottom of the ocean and die. But I understand the baby was going to die anyways, and you were going to die too. So you just, you had a tough decision to make. There's empathy there. There's sympathy. We understand that that's a unique circumstance. Um, 
Whereas with the 99.86% of abortions that happen for every other reason have nothing to do with the baby's life jeopardizing the life of the mother and in turn also jeopardizing its its own life. And so what we would say to that is if we are going to make an allowance for an abortions, um, which hopefully our society will someday come to this understanding and say we're going to protect all human life just like we do with every other classification and um, subgroup of humanity, we're going to protect them. But if there is a situation where this person's existence is going to kill somebody else, we understand that's different. And so with same with life in the womb, um, if there was an abolition and I were and me and many, many others, men and women, young and old, black, white, other abolitionists around the country and around the world were to see the glorious day when murder was not tolerated in society, life in the womb. I think there would be many of us, though, that would see this as the one and only exception. Um, for example, there's ectopic pregnancies. A woman who has an ectopic pregnancy, um, the baby growing in a place in her body, which it's not, it's, it's, it's dangerous for her. Um, we would say with our medical advancements, first of all, we can detect this very, very early. We can understand and know that this is growing in an unsafe place. But even then, it's not like the baby needs to be terminated immediately. Um, there are many options that go beyond that. Um, sometimes you just, it's a matter of being watchful, um, giving the mother a lot of bed rest, um, seeing what happens. Sometimes the baby might die naturally and or some or sometimes maybe even there's viable pregnancies that can happen in these situations um but so i think in that we we look at it we we analyze it we examine and do our absolute best in that situation to preserve all life but given that there might be instances where this baby is just growing and growing and it's going to cause the death of the mother i can understand why people would come to a different conclusion with that one and only specific issue. But I think what happens when that one issue gets brought up is, again, it's a red herring. It gets extrapolated and now used to justify every other type of abortion. And so when a person typically brings that up to me, again, a thing I like to ask is, all right, let's just say we agree on this one thing. The, the mother's life's at risk. She's going to die if she has this baby. We agree that's that's a unique situation so now are you going to oppose with me all other forms of abortion and they say no so again i think typically when people bring that up they're not bringing it up because they are really genuinely caring and are concerned for that one particular group and saying this is the one time abortion is acceptable they're really on board with the whole entire pro-choice movement and abortion industry which says abortion should be on demand at any time, no questions asked, judgment-free, we will kill your baby for whatever reason. Um, so, again, though, just but to, to take the question very seriously, I think that we do have a one and only unique set of circumstances there. It's a mother treading water, potentially her life's at risk, which in turn is going to kill her child. If she were to do that, I would say that that's a whole set of different circumstances that goes above and beyond all other forms of abortion, um, which I do not believe are justifiable. Um, and I mean, I guess if somebody were to ask me like what, what I would encourage my wife to do, um, or even let's just say I was my wife, you know, a woman and pregnant, what would I do? I think what I would do in that scenario is I, 
while I may not look down upon somebody else, I think I would tread water as long as I could, and I just don't think I could let the baby drop to the bottom of the ocean. I think I would say, God, you're sovereign over this. If you want to make it so that this baby lives, and I live too, you're sovereign and you can do that. I don't think I have it in me to execute my own flesh and blood and kill my child. So God, I'm just going to pray and see what you do in this. And the world might think I'm crazy. The world might think I'm stupid. And if I die, I know I'm in the sovereign hand of the God of the universe through my Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for me. And I'm willing to lay my life down for my child. I think that's my stance on it personally but i also do recognize that it is it's a tough one Mm -hmm. and i think this is the one and only one and only um scenario upon which a pro-choice person brings a scenario to us that i can say all right i think i could see where a person's coming from whereas all other ones i think i would fight a whole lot harder to say look please don't kill a child i know that baby was conceived in rape it might end up in the foster care system. You know, it has cleft lip, cleft palate. It's got Down syndrome. You wanted a boy. You wanted, like, I know there are all these problems. I know your husband just left you, but that is not a reason to kill your child. The one and only potential that I could see as potentially justifiable, even though I still fall on the other side of it, is in that scenario where a mother's life's at risk and also in turn it's going to end the life of her child. But I think as parents, God just gives us the instinct of protection. And I would hopefully, if I had the right uh, connection with a person to be able to counsel them in a pastoral way or in a family way, or if somebody was interested in my advice, I would say, you know, we're, we're, as parents, we're, we're our child's protectors. Mm-hmm. Up to and including even my life, I, I will never kill my child, but I will do everything in my power, even if it means I have to die to save my, my child's life. And so I think that's that's hopefully decent answer even though I'm I think I feel like I'm throwing everything I possibly can think of out in these answers um but yeah just trying to give people as much to think about as possible I think it was a great answer and I like how abortion isn't just one big like it's not I what I'm trying to say is like you're saying like there's different situations in abortion it's not just like I'm pro-choice so all abortion is okay like there are different scenarios so obviously um it's not serious when someone's like oh i just didn't want a boy Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um and then also i wanted to add in so if there was something wrong with the baby some people will say well there's something wrong with the baby like i i need to get an abortion it's not gonna live or whatever doctors are not always right i have listened to stories um this woman sheila walsh she has a podcast and she shared how the doctor told her there's something wrong with your baby the best choice for you is going to be an abortion and she's a christian and she was like no i'm not Mm -hmm. doing that Mm -hmm. and she says she spent like every day praying and praying and then she got later into the pregnancy and the doctor called her and they're like we have something to tell you can you come in and she was like no tell me on the phone like i am every day stressing about this and they're like we looked at the wrong chart your (laughs) baby's fine imagine yeah yeah yep yep so I mean, can you imagine killing your baby because you think there's something wrong and the doctor had it wrong? Right. Yeah. So I think in, and so, I mean, um, uh, I called abortion clinics all around the country um, uh, six months ago 
And just I found every place that would do late-term abortions that I could, um, Colorado, um, Washington, New York City, Washington, D.C. Um, and it's shocking what I found out. I was getting the most kind-hearted, sweet ladies counseling me through um, what would be the murder of my child. Um, and so I was trying not to lie. And I don't think I lied in the whole thing, but I was basically like, I'm, my wife really is. She's, at that time, 30 weeks pregnant. Um, I'm wondering what options, if we were to want an abortion, what you guys could provide for us, which is a true statement. I was really just trying to be honest, but I also did want to use the opportunity to try to just see what they would say. I was getting the most sweet ladies on the other end of the phone counseling us through and saying, here's what it would look like. Um, and I know this must be hard, but um, we're here for you. Um, here's what the process looks like. Um, an injection into the heart day one um, to stop the baby's life, or the, but not, ba not baby, um, uh, fetal, uh, fetal demise. It, it will cause fetal demise was the terminology I kept hearing. Fetal demise, um, an injection into the heart. That's day one. Day two, you have to gear up for the longest day of it because this is where you're going to be in be in our place for a long time because it involves the removal of um, the fetus, which has undergone demise. Um, and so, you know, just hearing this horrifying stuff or talking about it, just like it's, you know, here's what we would do if you came in for a car wash. We'd scrub your windows, you know, vacuum the car, like just talking about it like it's nothing. But so having so much empathy towards me. Well, I'm getting emotional because I'm hearing this vile, evil stuff, but she thinks I'm getting emotional because I'm just, like, torn about what to do. She did not ever—multiple people I talked to never once said, you know, you don't have to do this. Um, there's there's people that you can talk to, to 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 do something else. It was, yep, here's what the process would look like, and I was like, does it matter what reason? No, no reason. We don't, we're not here to judge you. We don't want to judge you. Um, you know, uh, we'll play music. Your, your wife can have headphones to play music to listen to. So she doesn't really have to be really conscious of the whole situation. She can kind of tune out to some music. Um, and just to hear it talked about like very commonplace. Um, and I, I asked, I did ask though, I was like, if we were to, to wait on this decision all the way till maybe 39 weeks, What's our window to when people no longer do it? And one lady said the latest in our country any doctor will do is 38 weeks. Um, and so as far as I know in our country right now, there is no doctor who will perform one after 38 weeks. Um, but they draw that kind of arbitrary line for whatever reason. 38 weeks is the, the time when they won't do it anymore. But, um, but nonetheless, though, do you think of a 38-week um, baby? I mean, <laughs> it... it it's a hundred percent. There's no denying it. I could even see if some of these people were like, well, at conception, I don't know, but this is a 38 week, but this is again, consistent with the pro-choice movement, the abortion industry movement, which says life in the womb is expendable. And this is a mother's right to do for any and all reason. We don't have the right to ask her any questions. This is a private decision that a woman has to make. Um, and again, it's just, it's consistent with this, as I mentioned before, and I say a lot, it's a tidal wave of blood. It is something that I think Satan has been in the business of doing is killing children from a long time ago. You look through scripture, you see 
in the time of Moses when he was a child, Pharaoh killing all of the, the young young children, the, all of the boys. I think it was even just boy and girl to try to eliminate um, the strength of the Israelites in Egypt. Um, then you see uh, the Canaanites sacrificing their children to Molech, and what they would do is they would, they would heat up this brass god, idol god, to an excruciatingly hot temperature, and then parents would go and lay their child onto this baby, and it would sizzle to death um, onto this, like, metal altar, you know, and it would just sizzle, and they'd bang drums to really loud so that the parents wouldn't hear the child scream. Um, you know, and then down through Israel, they even adapt this practice, and in Jeremiah, you see God saying, I, this thought didn't even cross my mind. I don't even know where you guys came up with such a thing. This thought, me, as the sovereign God of the universe who knows all, this didn't even come into my mind that you would do such an atrocious thing, that you would sacrifice your children to idols. And then in the time of Jesus, you see King Herod killing all of the firstborn, all of the men, um, all the male children um, under two years of age. Just imagine the slaughter of that and how atrocious this has been. But I think this is just in line with the working of the devil um, who always finds a way to, to, to deceive a society into thinking that a certain group of people within our society is less than. You see, with slavery, blacks are not really human or they're subhuman to some degree, um, so we can treat them as property. Therefore, it's justifiable for us to enslave them, beat them, rape them, apart from any societal judgments. Um, same thing with, um, you know, the Holocaust. Jews are less than. We can do these things to them because they're a burden on society. And so I think this is just one more thing but I think this is the most grand scale that we've ever seen in human history. I think this puts the Holocaust to shame. Six million Jews, horrible, terrible, happened in a five-year period, six-year period during World War II. Um, the transatlantic slave trade, 13 million black people over the course of three, 400 years. Horrible, horrible, horrible. But again, these things pale in comparison. We have 55 million Every single year, babies killed in the mm -hmm. womb. It makes the transatlantic slave trade look like uh, pale, like nothing. I mean, it, it's it's huge and it's massive, and our hearts mourn over the fact that of this great stain in our society. But I hope that there will one day be a time when we look back and say, "How uh, how awful we were killing kids in the womb. What were we thinking?" Just like we say now, we were carrying slaves from the west coast of Africa, bringing them over and just making that like, I think we look back at that with such shame and disdain, but we're doing the exact same thing and far worse. And again, it's right situated on Main Street. It's welcomed in our downtowns. It's tolerated in society. It's, accept it's acceptable um, to most people. Um, and people donate. <laughs> people, when government stops funding Planned Parenthood, people step up and start donating and saying mm -hmm. we're so grateful for what you do we understand this is another thing that we hear a lot they do a lot of other good things besides abortions you know you know they, they don't just do abortions in there they do sonograms they give out condoms women's health care that's great uh, okay good if they would just stop the murder part we wouldn't be here but the thing is is that they do the murder part also there are many many people um you know who do awful things you know people who right now are you know, in the most unimaginable circumstances, ripped away from their families and are in some dark crevice somewhere on a missing poster. 
that person's doing unimaginable things to them. And if we were to say, well, he's feeding them and he's giving them clothes, he's letting them take a shower. It's like, well, okay, that's, that's cool, I guess. But he's also doing these atrocious things to this person. Mm-hmm. We would say the same thing. All right. Okay. Free condoms. High five. Thanks for the free condoms. Thanks for the, you know, the free sonograms. Um, but at the end of the day, what you do is you, the murder part is not acceptable and that's not going to mask all of all, all of these you could th- hand out a thousand free condoms a day that's not going to mask the many many murders that you do um and so again i think you know it's 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 one of those things that i i think most people are just going off of the presupposition that abortion is okay and now finding all of these reasons to justify it which hopefully one day in our society will look back and say those reasons had no justification to do what you were doing just like 300 years ago, 200 years ago, we were justifying slavery. And we had the presupposition that it's fine to do, and now we have all of these sub-reasons why it's okay. We look back and that those reasons do not measure up. They were not good enough to do the awful things that you were doing. And so I think it's the exact same thing now, um, and we get a lot of these little reasons. But um, And again, smart people think these things. Kind people think these things, and I understand, but I just think it's a grand-scale deception, um, and most people are just on board with it from square one and will find any reason that they can, any halfway decent argument to use to justify their stance to to say, I stand with Planned Parenthood. It's like, oh, man, you know, like, I stand with the Nazi regime. Like, what do you what do you mean when you say this? Like, what what is it that is good about the murder of, of babies in the womb? Why would you want to stand with such a, an awful organization? But that's my heart, and I'm, all, I'm obviously a lot more passionate about it. I know that there are some Christians who are not involved in the fight, and I understand that, you know, not everybody's going to be. Um, and so I don't really look down on my fellow Christians. I just hope that we can convey to them that this is a huge thing, that at the very least I hope people are praying about bringing an end to this great injustice um, that I believe is not only an affront to humankind, but also an affront to God. Uh, This is God's handiwork. God spends a lot of time on human beings. I mean, not that it takes him a lot of time, but he invests so much of himself. We're the only thing that is made in the image of God, made in his image. Um, Jesus Christ gave his life for human beings, for sinful people. Jesus Christ became a human being, that they're not only sinning, when we murder people and deal ill with other people, we're not only violating other people, but we're violating the first commandment. Jesus says is love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are tearing down his work in a human being. And I think that God's heart is, is not only broken over it, but I think his holy um, wrath is kindled in the sense when a person is, is, um, is dealing so violently but um, we hope, again, not, not to just slam the wrath of God on people, but to talk, call them, turn to Jesus Christ. He is the one who can save not only sinners who have had an abortion, but, you know, people who are like me, a liar, you know, a thief, um, a drug user, uh, an adulterer, somebody who's running around, you know, sleeping, like doing all of these things that the world glorifies, um, somebody who just simply cheats on their taxes, somebody like we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so what our hope is, is not to just rub people's noses and, and say abortion, you know, just you're awful. Our hope is to offer them help, 
love them, love them to death, just like pour out great love on them, but also say like, we want you to know the God of the universe who went to great lengths to save you, literally gave his life, endured such hostility at the hands of sinners, was kicked, whipped, beaten, spit upon, mocked, hung on a cross, bled and died for sinners. We want you to know the great love that is available, that you can be saved if you turn to Jesus Christ, if you would repent of sin, turn to Christ, put your faith in him. He will never, ever disappoint you. He will be faithful to you in this life and into the next and through all eternity. There's forgiveness of sins, not only again of abortion, but just of all our sins washed away, separated as far as the east is from the west. We are reconciled with God through the death of Jesus Christ who rose again. And I think like that's the heart of the message. Um, and that's hopefully the, the gospel stays central in every ministry we do, whether we're outside of a Planned Parenthood or whether we're, you know, outside of a bar, you know, talking to people saying, you know, turn from drunkenness, you know, like, or anything, any, any ministry that we do, um, we want to extend the hope and the love and the grace and the kindness of God that he extends towards the world and Jesus Christ, which is beyond comprehension. We just have such a great God um, who's worthy of deserving of praise and to be at the forefront of everything that we do. So, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen <laughs> to that. Um, so I have two more questions left for you. One is what are your thoughts? Uh, what are your thoughts on the plan B uh, morning after pill? Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, um, I, I, I see it as awful <laughs> and sadly, and I, and it seems so minuscule. I, I could see some people maybe being convinced, okay, well I'm against 38 week abortions and I'll, if there are ever a woman going in with a huge stomach, I'll, I'll stand with you. Maybe even second trimester, but you got you guys are crazy. It's not even like she's not even showing. It's a tiny little thing, like, and especially the morning after, like, of course that's not bad. I think that just undercuts again the fact that from the moment of conception, this is a beautiful human being, miraculously made. David says in the Psalms, I'm, "I was fearfully and wonderfully made." The more we know about science, the more fearful and wonderful. We can see that life in the womb is, even from the moment of conception, it's just magnificent. The stuff that we know now as opposed to what we knew 50 years ago about the moment of conception just blows, it's mind-blowing how beautiful and miraculous this whole process is that God has made so that life can form um, right from the moment of conception. And so we would just say, yeah, plan B is um, just as equivalent uh, of murder as a 38-week as you know as a killing of a, a teenager and it sounds harsh and i understand that and i get that and i think it's just the society that we live in that would say that where we could categorize one set of human beings as less than and not as horrific but i think just to be consistent in our logic and in our understanding that it is best when we see all humans everyone we don't discriminate we see them all as equal all equal made in the image of God everyone's value is equal and just because maybe our emotions are a little bit less moved with a plan B the morning after uh, you know just conceived or you know um, that it's still the taking of an, an innocent life mm -hmm. yep okay and my last question is if someone's listening to this and they're moved by it and they're like wow I want to do something what's the first step they can do to help save the babies um I mean, I think uh, <clears throat> a few different things. One is uh, reaching out to some people that are already doing it. Um, I think it's one of those things sometimes when we try to reinvent the wheel, 
um, it, it can be burdensome, but there are many groups that are already kind of doing these things and already stepping in. And so it's great to just be like, all right, how can I help an existing thing that's already happening? Um, and there's many ways to help. There are many teams in place, uh, many people. Um, you don't have to stand on the side of the street holding a sign. Um, you can be a prayer warrior. You can say, hey, look, I'm going to pray for you guys. Um, I'm going to pray for you know, lives in the womb. Mothers and fathers' hearts will change. Pray for doctors and nurses and Planned Parenthood that they will come out and just, you know, um, change their minds. Um, but also, you know, even standing on the street, I think it does a whole lot. Like it, it, it um, it's, it's kind of not to be extreme, but life changing in a sense where you are all of a sudden you're out on a limb and you're terrified. You might see your neighbor drive by. You're not. You're, it's just like, but all of a sudden it kind of throws you into the midst of the battle. Um, and you can figure things out from there. Also, I mean, there's there's plenty of things that will that you can sign up to do that will give you no judgment from society. I know that there are many people who would never do what we do because it's like it's hard. Society all of a sudden judges you. They see you as an outcast. But there are many things that will bring you zero judgment from society. You, if you're part of a team, you could say, I'll adopt. No one's going to be like, man, you adopt babies who would have been like, they're not mad at you for that. That's because they're just like, oh, you're, you're adopting and everybody loves somebody who adopts. Um, foster, take be a foster parent. Again, the foster care system is incredibly challenging right now. Five hundred thousand foster care children um, and they need a home. And so this is a great way. Um, just if you see a single mom who is struggling, come alongside her, love her, help her, um, you know, Buy her a, a Hannaford food card and just say, hey, you know, like you're working hard, um, taking care of your child. That's amazing. And I, I applaud you for, for being a mom, um, you know. Uh, but I think, you know, those are some things that you could do on your own. But I think one of the best things is when we all work together, when there are a bunch of us saying, hey, we're all on the same team. We all have the same goal. Let's work together and be a, a voice for the voiceless and stand for, stand for the rights of the unborn working together and joining the team so if there's anybody that's interested in reaching out to us definitely would love to hear from you yeah awesome where can people find you guys um so i mean uh, yeah I'll, i don't even mind giving my cell phone number i give it out a million times a day anyways um but yeah 207-949-6741 my cell phone goes right to my pocket you can text me um but also i mean yeah you could uh reach out to my the, my local church that i attend we have a lot of people who have a heart for this ministry new city church in bath um we're part of a ragtag organization that isn't really fully an organization, but it kind of is. We call ourselves pro-life, pro-life missionaries of Maine. That's how you found me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are several of us that just are a bunch of Christians from around the state that just kind of come together and we kind of stand for life in various ways. Um, and so pro-life missionaries of Maine is our Facebook page. Um, you could find us on there and message us. Um, yeah, there's a couple of good ways to get in touch with us. And if you're from out of state, even if you meant if you contact us, we could probably connect you to a pro-life ministry near you because we have a lot of connections with people around the country and we could probably find something closer to you if you're from far away. So. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on. Oh, it's an honor. Was... I really am. I'm grateful. Very grateful. Yeah, I'm very grateful. You answered these questions. Amazing. Amazing. So praise the you. Lord. Awesome. Yeah. All right. God bless. All right. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to the hashtag Create Your Earth Life podcast. I pray that you learned so much from listening to John and I chat. I pray that you heard answers that you are able to 
confidently and comfortably share information about being pro-life and that you are able to help pro-choice people understand where you're coming from and you know, maybe change their perspective or help them learn something new. Um, And I really just pray that this podcast is shared with others and this will help people and help women that are going through this and they're saying like, I can't do this. I'm pregnant and I don't want this baby and I can't do this. And the reasons uh, they might have, or maybe I don't have enough money or I I just, I don't want to do it. I, I don't have support or, you know, all these different reasons, like you can do it. You were given this beautiful, gift. Um, A child is such a wonderful and beautiful gift. You can do it. You are their parent. You are the one that's going to provide for them and love them and care for them. And there is support out there. All right, guys. So please share this podcast episode. I think it is vital for people to hear this episode. And please give the podcast a five-star review so more people will be able to find the podcast. All right, guys. I hope you guys have the best day ever. God bless you.